Hi, you're listening to Group, a podcast about mental health. This is the show for the overanalyzers. If I get drunk and I talk about Darfur too much, or not enough, what if I don't bring up Darfur enough? The depressives. There is no meaning in death. That's why it's so terrifying. And the armchair diagnosers. She's autistic. She can't help it. Yeah, I'm autistic. No, you're not autistic, Tina. For those of you who have obsessive thoughts, we're here to tell you that you're not alone. As long as I clench my fists at odd intervals, then the darkness within me won't force me to do anything inappropriately violent or sexual. For those of you who are feeling anxious, we want to give you some tools to help you chill out. I feel like taller and leaner and organic. Our goal is to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas. I'm an anxious person, and I'm here with co-host Ian Chant. Uh, also an anxious person. Not like all the time, but today. What's what's your anxiety level like? One Ooh, to ten. I'm at like I'm a, I'm at like 45 today. Oh wow! I've been I've been going all day today. Okay, well maybe we could do some deep breathing or something like that. Or <laughs> that sounds great. I I did I did um, my deep breathing exercise was I actually I found a place that had happy hour hot sake uh-huh. right around the corner from the studio we're, we're recording in. Mm-hmm. So that actually helped a lot. So I would say I was maybe like a nine earlier today, but uh, I'm I'm feeling a lot better right now. It's just That's great. I don't know. We're in like a nice quiet space and like we have our setup and I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. We're going to be talking about compulsive self-grooming behavior, which could be something like nail biting or skin picking or hair pulling or cheek biting or, you know, any of those exciting things. So I just wanted to warn people up front that it's going to get a little gross. It's not going to get like, like on a medium gross. Yeah. It's not like it's not going to get Cronenberg gross. It's going to get PG-13. We're going to hear from a hair puller. I used to be a top-of-the-scalp puller. I only pulled, basically, from the crown of my head, so I looked like a monk. We'll talk to a skin picker. I, I think there's something that I need to fix, and I will lose hours leaning over a mirror. My elbow's bruised, my back is hurting, but... There is nothing that could stop me from continually to go and and pick at an area I believe I need to fix. And we'll hear from a social worker slash Reiki master slash hypnotist who treats compulsive self-groomers through traditional methods as well as alternative methods. I'm into the chakras and the energy systems, and if things are out of balance energetically, we can be out of balance in our physical body as well. Dude, social worker slash... Reiki master slash hypnotist yes. is like a like a bomb like D and D class. I, like it's like a like a Dungeons and Dragons like multi classing. Like you're a fighter and oh, a wizard. Okay, okay. I'm not familiar with, with this one. It's, it's okay. I'm familiar. I'm familiar for at least two of us. I'm familiar for you and me and like most of our listeners at this point. Okay. We're cool. Ian, you said that you did a little bit of cheek biting. Yeah, I'd, I'd go like full pucker. Mm-hmm. I mean, like like biting on. See, it's funny because I can't even do it now. So yeah, so but you like, like purse your lips and then you would bite the inside of your che- just when you were like stressed the out of both or like. Cheeks. Would you remember when you did it? Like, if I was stressed, but sometimes also just if I was like if I was bored. Yeah. What point in your life did you do it? Uh, that was probably more when I was like in into junior high, probably. I guess I probably haven't done that much since high school. Mm-hmm. Would you? Would you ever like hurt the inside of your lips with a? I don't a... think so. Okay, so it wasn't that bad. No. Um, do you do any other compulsive grooming behaviors? Do you like pull at your beard or anything? I do. I pull at my beard. Um, I bite my. Na- I don't pull at my beard, but I like do that like deep thinking stroke the beard. Yeah, I would do that if I had a beard too. Oh, it's it, like why why else even have a beard? The mm-hmm. other thing that I've developed um cuz I've I've started uh I've started shaving my head. Uh I cuz one of our one of our uh interviewees mm-hmm. mentioned that she was going bald on top like a monk. Yeah. Um which is actually also how I have been going bald recently. More common for men, I would say. Uh, yeah, very, very, <laughs> yeah. Uh and it wasn't I I was doing everything I could to mm-hmm. maintain it, but uh I was I was fighting a losing battle. I'm not like shaving. I'm not like bicking it. I tried that once, and I looked like I came out of a fucking Hellraiser movie. I, I cut myself up real badly. 
Oh, man. Um, and so now I'm just like like doing the very the like like peach fuzz basically, mm-hmm. um, and that is very like I'll like give that a rub. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you so you pat you like stroke your hair you like do the beardy thinking thing exactly and then you bite your nails a little I bit. I do bite my nails. Okay. Um, my I think my nails will attest to that. Well, I'll show you my nails. Uh, I I wonder if you can you can tell right now. Let's um, compare. Okay. Okay. Well, your nails are much shorter than my. Oh, you have a little bit of dried. I can see a little bit of dried blood around yeah. the cuticles. Mine too. There's a little bit of. Oh yeah. Like scabbing bit. and, bit, yeah. and stuff. I was interested in in this topic because I had a death in the family about a year and a half ago, and I think since then I've noticed that I've been doing this thing where I like scratch my head. And I'd been doing it more and more often, and sometimes I noticed that, like, I would be in a meeting at work or something, and I would be sort of, like, just doing it the whole time. And I was like, this is this is weird. This is, like, a new thing. This is not something that I've been doing. And I talked to my therapist about it, and she was like, oh, okay, well, it's, like, a self-soothing thing. It doesn't seem you have to, like you have to worry about it unless it becomes – unless you're doing it, like, all the time or it, you're hurting yourself. Um so, it's the same way that, like, I don't worry about, like, my cat licking herself unless she's, like, licking a hole in herself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same, same rules. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a similar thing. I mean, like, a sort of calming thing, like grief, I think you develop extra, like, coping mechanisms or whatever. So that's been something that I, I'd been doing. So I was interested in sort of, like, why I was doing that. And then I started researching it, and I also found that it's connected. Like, it's a self-grooming behavior that's also similar to, like, picking at your nails. Um, and I've also noticed that recently. Like in the past year and a half, I've been doing this thing more and more often, which is um, I pick at the skin around my fingernails, the the cuticle and then like underneath the nail. And then my favorite thing to do, um, this is going to be a little bit gross, but uh, get cuticle scissors or nail cutter things and like actually cut off the skin around and um, a callus will form, and then I'll, like, rip off the callus. And See, I have not gone to a tool yet. A tool feels yeah. like, and this is this is probably totally unfair, mm-hmm. but a tool feels like taking this to another level. Yeah. It can, like, actually cause more damage. Right, because um, then you're going, you're, like, going through, like, like, scar tissue, basically. Yeah, but it's, like, it feels really good. Like, if I'm sitting and, like, you know, watching right now, like I've been rewatching Friends. <laughs> it's on Netflix, and like it's so relaxing to like sit, like have my glass of wine, watch an episode of Friends, and like go at my cuticles and like <laughs> hey, whatever gets you through the day. Like, so gross. Um, I yeah, I feel like I've been I've been doing it more often. So I was curious about like the psychology of this and other people who do it. So. Before we get into talking to some of the the folks who do this, I wanted to play a recording that my friend did of me wanting to pick my nails. And so this is a segment that I wanted to call Up Close and Personal with Rebecca's Brain. <laughs> uh, so so he picked up his iPhone and, and started recording it. Let's hear from Rebecca about why her fingers are falling off. I've been pretty good for three days now. I haven't touched my fingers at all, but now I am having a very, I have a very strong impulse to pick at them. The side of my thumb, I can see like a little hangnail and I really want to go get little nail cutters and rip it off, pick out all of the dead skin and and calluses it's driving me a little nuts and I really just want to pick at them but I I'm trying very hard not to will you be really grossed out if I do that it doesn't gross me out but I don't like it I mean I'm not gonna stop you from doing it Oh my god, I just really want to get tweezers or or little nail cutters or something like that. It feels like until I do it, it is like 90% of what my brain is going to be thinking about. But I don't want to be a person who does this anymore because I think it's it's pretty gross. This is really embarrassing. I wish I were alone. 
Can uh, I can I ask something? Yeah. You mentioned that this is like a pretty new behavior, but like is is like just biting your fingernails. Like I, I mean, I've standard... picked up my fingernails my whole life. Okay. I actually remember my mom doing it too, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing her do it, and her fingers would bleed. It seems like this might be a genetic thing. Like there's research that shows that compulsive self grooming behavior is can be passed down through genes. But no counterpoint to that. Yeah. I remember my grandmother telling me that biting my nails was a vile habit <laughs> um, and that gentlemen did not do that. Uh, I guess gentlewomen probably shouldn't do this either. But, <laughs> but this is 2017 and I ain't no gentlewoman. So um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's embarrassing because like in Sex and the City, Carrie Bradshaw talks about her like weird alone behavior. And the quote that she says is, I like to make a snack of saltines and put grape jelly on them. And then I eat them in the kitchen reading fashion magazines. It's weird, but it feels great. And like, (laughs) it's it's so that the idea of weird that someone who's never seen a weird thing (laughs) has, because like, that's, that's not weird. I'm super envious of that weird. of her inner life where like that's the weird alone behavior yeah. she has and mine is like picking at the dead skin around my No, nose. no, no, fuck that. Cause you know what? I don't trust someone who like, oh, that's my weird thing. <laughs> uh, it's like you have something much worse than yeah, you know, because you know what? That's the weird thing that someone admits to when they have like the skins of all the neighborhood cats drying that's in true. their fucking That was basement. probably Carrie's secret. Carrie yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was collecting cat skins. Yeah, that's that's like that that's the weird thing that someone admits to like, oh, I'm so quirky mm-hmm. when they're like also strangling their neighbor's dogs. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm not doing that, which is good. <laughs> okay. So, uh, picking so my fingers, fe- feeling better about it now. Um, but the <laughs> the the clinical name for these compulsive self-grooming behaviors is body-focused repetitive behaviors or BFRBs. And since I'm not a mental health professional, although sometimes I like to think I am. Um, we're getting there. <laughs> we're, we're getting credits towards this, right? Yeah. This like is, I we're going to graduate. Yeah. The, I feel like every episode episodes. is like yeah. towards a certificate now. Um, but I thought I would talk with someone who actually regularly treats people with BFRBs to explain how these behaviors work. Uh, so I went to speak with Meryl Black at the center that she founded and runs. Workshops in here. So we're hold a support group. This is our yoga and meditation room. I'm Meryl Black, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm also a Reiki master and a hypnotherapist, uh, and I see people to help enhance their lives. This place is called the Temperance Center. It is a healing center for people. So we offer a lot of array of different services to help the person, um, whether it's acupuncture, whether it's intuitive readings, whether it's yoga, whether it's meditation, whether it's psychotherapy, all the different approaches to help um, one-stop kind of shopping. We do have massage as well to help the person heal. Can you explain uh, what a body-focused repetitive disorder is? Sure. So body-focused repetitive behavior is any kind of behavior that you will do over and over and over again. So there is sort of an obsessive quality to it um, and also sometimes really hard to get out of it once you start. And there's a lot of different aspects to it. So it's a very self-soothing kind of thing to help people kind of manage whether they're stressed, whether they're tired, whether they're anxious, bored. It could be any emotion whatsoever, but it is this feeling of feeling like they they have to kind of do it there is this impulse to want to pull or pick as examples because those are the two really big ones that i work with is you know skin picking and hair pulling but there's also nail biting there's also cheek biting pulling at skin you know pulling at the lip all of those can really be also body focused repetitive behaviors What's the line between like just a, a bad habit and a body focused repetitive behavior? Okay, so the element that I see for that is when it really starts to interfere with their daily routines and activities. And also when it starts to upset them emotionally, if there's a sense of shame or embarrassment, that's the inside stuff. But on the outside, it's really feeling like they can't stop. 
really does consume them um, and they get kind of lost in the whole activity rather than someone that has a pimple or something that they pick and they're done. This is something that can go on for like hours for people. So it seems like, according to Meryl Black, um, my head scratching is just a habit that I have. Uh, and my skin picking is like a mild BFRB because the skin picking can interfere with my life a bit. Like if it's because I'm embarrassed about it. Right. Like. Right. Well, and I, I think also for, from from sort of the point she was making, because it did seem a little more like 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 on the compulsion end of things too. like like you didn't you didn't yeah. want to want to do it. You no, didn't like. No, but like in, in the in the recording that from earlier, like I just it's like. Once I have that feeling in my fingers, like that t- tingling in my fingers, like it's super distracting until I do something about right, it. Right. There's no going back. Yeah. Yeah. And then also sometimes I will – I'll bleed a little bit and then that's not good, right? Like that's damaging tissue. So, um, you know, it's not as, as bad as uh, a lot of folks that have BFRBs, including some of the women in this episode. But also interesting – most of the people who have these are women. That's was was something that I was really curious about. Yeah. And was going to ask is like what what's the sort of sort of gender split there? Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know like percentage wise, but like the majority of the folks who have them um, are women. Uh, but yeah, I'm in good company. Lots of other ladies out there doing stuff like this. <laughs> but the first BFRB that we're going to talk about is trichotillomania, or compulsive hair pulling. So I did speak with someone, Nicole Santamorena, who has trichotillomania. She's a a very cool 22-year-old artist, uh, mental health advocate, who goes to Purchase College. So I went up to Purchase to to speak with her about her experience with BFRBs. Can you take me through, like, the process of pulling, including, like, the emotions associated with it? Yeah, definitely. Um... For me, a lot of times it's anxiety related. Like I will feel really anxious and it's self-soothing for me. Like my hands automatically go to my hair and it starts off for me as like twisting it between my fingers kind of. And then I get, sometimes I get a physical sensation either in my hands or on my head. And the only way to make it go away is to pluck the hair. There are times where I'm like, my whole head is tingling and I just have to get all of the hairs and there are other times where I'm like I'm so anxious and so frustrated and so angry and so sad I just have to like get it all or there are other times where I just I'm running my fingers through my hair and I feel one that's really wiry or thick and I'm like that doesn't feel like the other ones I have to get it it's it's different so there's this kind of aspect of well I have this weird sensation and I shouldn't be doing it but I should because I don't like having this thing that feels different so it's just a kind of a combination of anxiety, uncomfortability, and and sensory. Do you have like a thing that you do with your hair once you pull it out? I do. And I've, this is something that I've had a hard time facing. I like to roll it in my hands and make little, I make little or big hairballs and like roll it against my lips. Like I like the tactile feeling of that where I have to like rub the hair on my skin and play with it, look at it, inspect it. That's definitely something I do. So can you tell me about your earliest memories associated with Trick? My mom said that when I was a baby, I pulled people her hair out and pulled my own hair out, but it stopped um, for a few years. And then when I w- entered grade school, it started up again. And I, I remember doing it in grade school. I used to be a top of the scalp puller. Um, I only pulled basically from the crown of my head, so I looked like a monk. I was made fun of really really badly um I got called baldy alien cancer kid cancer girl like I got followed around I wore a hairpiece at one point and a bandana and some kids pulled it off they would talk about me behind my back I would go to the bathroom they would be talking about me I could not get away from it and even the teachers would they didn't know how to deal with me they were just like what is this kid doing yeah so my middle school experience, I felt like, was pretty bad, but I did not have, um, I did not have like a bald section in my head. I can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm prepared to say that no one's middle school experience was good. Yeah. But this seems like a particularly terrible one. Yeah, and then so when she hit puberty, then she developed another BFRB. Probably middle school age, so like twelve. 
yeah, that's when I started picking, like when, you know, when you get like your first pimple. Um, but then it became for me this almost super obsession that like I would just sit in front of the mirrors for hours and dig and dig and like pull skin off and I would feel so much shame that I would not want to leave my house. I would not go to school because I was like, I look so bad right now and there's nothing I can do to fix it. I would like cry in my bathroom and be like, I can't, no amount of makeup will make this look any better. No amount of me fixing my hair in a certain way is going to make people think, oh, like you look normal. So there was a lot of shame surrounding that. So the official title under the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Um, Nailed it. <laughs> I just got my first copy, too. I'm very excited about it. What, I've been reading all are, about all the we're things. On, we're on DSM, I want to say, 5 now, right? Is the newest? Yes, the okay. DSM 5. <laughs> um, the, the latest and greatest. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's been that's been interesting. So I've been like, you know, going through trying to figure out all the things that are wrong with me, all the disorders. Oh, that that, I have. This, this, see, this is the dangerous thing about about <laughs> people owning their own DSM. Nighttime reading, yes. Yeah. Um, so the the official title for this skin picking thing in the DSM is excoriation disorder. So I wanted to check in with another woman who has this disorder, Lauren McKinney, who is the founder of Picking Me, which is a nonprofit that helps folks with excoriation disorder. In this recording, you'll you'll hear her refer to her skin picking as dermatillomania. You know, trichotillomania is trico, hair, tillo, to pluck out, and mania is overactivity. So dermatillomania is, you know, similar like derm skin to pick Picking at, at your yeah, skin to much. pick out your skin too much. Yeah. Um, so uh, you might hear her call it excoriation disorder or dermatillomania. It's the same thing. We spoke over Skype and I started our conversation by asking when she had started her picking. When I look back at pictures, like eight-year-old Lauren is probably the first time I can see red dots along my skin. I was the kid who would get mosquito bites in the summer and they would last through winter. I was keeping the bites there by continually scratching them. The bites on my legs would um, would be scratched so much that they turn into sores that I'd constantly wear sweatpants. But I remember that if I wore these navy blue sweatpants, that soft material, if it adhered to the wound, it actually created a more intense scab that gave me a more sense of relief than to pull off. It really started being brought to my attention with kind of bullying. There were some girls that held my arm down and started to make a constellation out of uh, the marks on my on my um, on my arm. Some from scars, some from scabs, and. Can you explain the desire to, like, remove the scab or the bump or whatever, despite whether or not it's going to bleed or maybe cause you pain? So I um, I kind of define picking in, in two, two types. There's scanning and focused for me. And uh, the scanning picking, it happens where my fingers are, you know, moving on my body. I'm not telling them to, but when they find something that shouldn't belong, something that feels foreign, something that's risen, tough, rough, I will feel better if that is gone. The relief that that wouldn't be there helps soothe me. And what's interesting is that I'm not going into that behavior thinking, I need to calm down. What can I smooth out to feel calm again? I'm not starting with that. But even in speaking right now, my hands are, are you know moving on their own because there's something self-soothing and then in fixing these perceived imperfections. There's not a huge level of awareness in scanning. That's It's very much um, highs and lows. So overstimulated, uh, anxious, anxiety-driven moments or the complete opposite, really understimulated, watching TV, even driving, something that's very understimulating. That's another time the scanning will just pop up. The scanning is also when there'll be blood on my shirt and I don't I don't know when it got there, how it got there. And I have to quickly make up something about why a coworker is telling me there's blood on my shirt or blood in my bed sheets at a boyfriend's house really creates um, a lack of identity even because you're always trying to make something up to fit. But the other type of picking <laughs> that I go through is focused, focused picking. It's compulsion based. It's it's that I, I I think there's something that 
I need to fix and I will lose hours uh, leaning over a mirror. My elbows bruised, my back is hurting, but there's nothing that could stop me from continually to go and, and pick at an area that I believe I need to fix. Intelligently, logically, I know that I'm not helping the situation, but there, it, it's like speaking with a different person if I'm in that kind of episode. So when did your family start like realizing that this was a thing that needed to be treated? And what were some of the, the forms of treatment that you started experimenting with? Um, so I do know that I saw so many doctors and I'm not sure I really understood why at the times I was going you know, I could be super healthy, but I had to left school early because my mom was taking me to see uh, this Chinese herbal therapist or um, uh, hypnotism was something that I had to try when I was like 11. I mean, the um, amount of different dermatologists I saw, it, it was like a Rolodex of them. And with all of them, I, something new was, okay, we're switching the detergent. You're going to sleep in gloves. We're going to keep her nails short. Things did start to go towards maybe helping me from picking, but it was never the picking that was upfront and discussed. And I will say that's not really, you know, on super fault of my mom or the doctors. It was so shameful to be sitting there so many times with them asking, why do you do this? And me, you know, 12 year old looking up like, I, I don't know. And, but that answer is not acceptable. But, you know, this is before excoriation, dermatillion mania even had a name. It, it really caused a lot of um, turmoil in my family. Alum. I, I think that when you don't have an answer, when you don't have a term, when you don't have something to hold on to tangibly of to why you're doing something, the amount of confusion it creates only leads to shame because you feel like you're wrong because there's, you know, nothing that can define what you, what's going on with you. And um, it doesn't help that the main tool that my mom was given to aid me in stopping was to monitor and, and tell her to stop. Because then you're just made to feel like you're bad to be reprimanded so often. I just kind of started to work on hiding it even before anyone asked, just to answers like, I just got back from the woods with some friends. I we got chiggers. Um, you know, my chicken pox kind of come back and forth. They don't know really why that happens to me. Um, or like, yeah, I know my skin just does this. Like I, they actually want to write an episode about house about me. Um, but yeah, I'm not getting back to them yet. Like I literally like would just come up with anything. So can you tell me about when you were officially diagnosed with uh, dermatillomania? Right after 2013, when the DSM-5 included uh, the term, along with trichotillomania, I, I had been living in Chicago and had had a picking episode, much like um, the six other times I had been hospitalized for it. I created an area where an abscess formed and usually uh, contracted cellulitis, except this time, I remember it must have been the size of a pin in the area on my leg, but it blew up so much because it got infected with MRSA. Um, and I ended up in the hospital for two weeks and having eight inches of my leg cut out. It was, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And at that point, after I was diagnosed with dermatillomania and in the hospital with that episode, being so happy to have a word, a diagnosis, a term, that I wanted to like, you know, print it out, put on a t-shirt, wear, wear a button with it on it, <laughs> uh, tell everyone that, you know, had given me so many other things and, and write them letters about what I had, everything. But, but immediately deflating into there is absolutely no awareness, no treatment, no recognition, no funding, no research studies, and ultimately no cure. And I kind of fell into a bit of a deeper depression after this whole time. And what really got me out of it was that enough is enough and that I wanted to be that person, that that group, that awareness organization that I had been so looking for. Um, and kind of the attitude, if no one's going to do this, well, well, I'm going to do it. 
And the more I started to talk to people, though, and really open up about my story, not not telling them I had allergies or a rash or chiggers, but telling them I had this dermatillomania and I compulsively picked my skin. But finding everyone, everyone had a friend. Everyone had a friend of a friend or a relative or something where they could relate to a form of picking that wasn't a bad habit as it's often stigmatized, but something that in ways was quite life pervasive. So what I thought was really interesting about uh, what Lauren was saying was how how important it was for her to have a diagnosis. Like, you know, she was talking about how once she had that diagnosis, she felt so happy. She felt like she wanted to put it on a T-shirt, you know? Like, that's, a, that's a thing that really struck me, too, yeah. was was just the the frustration of not having a name for yeah. this thing. And, and 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 I think that's that's a frustration in a lot of people with physical ailments that we don't understand and mental illness that we don't understand. Not having a name yeah. for for something can be so frustrating and it does like she said it leaves you so powerless. I mean, she was saying that she when she was going to these doctors and they were asking her like, "Why are you doing this?" <laughs> you know, and she didn't really have an answer for it. Yeah, because because you because at that point she can't say because I have this thing because, because oh yeah yeah oh I'm doing this because I have excoriation disorder. You right, know? right. No, she just is doing it because she's doing it. Like she can't, you know, she can't control herself. But um, yeah, it was interesting. It reminded me of when. I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, which was just, it felt so good to be like, oh, there's not something wrong with me. There's like a brain chemistry situation going on. Right. You know? Well, and I, I think honestly, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's a lot of it, mm-hmm. but I, th- I really, I think there's something deeper to it than that. I think when a thing doesn't have a name, there, there's something very basic about that. It's, it's the monster under the bed. Yeah, you don't understand it enough to say what it is, and so you have no power over it, and it, and it puts you in this totally unleveraged position when you're, when you're trying to deal with stuff like this. And you know, there's, there's a reason that, that like we, we have myths about like knowing, knowing a demon or an angel's true name or something. There's, there's a lot of power in knowing something's name, and there, and, and you know. The other side of that is is not having a name for something gives it a lot of power over you. It's also crazy how important knowing that other people out there have it, you know, that you're not alone. Like, it sounds like so when she first was diagnosed, it had just been just been put into the DSM. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, you know, now she had been been hospitalized six times for this. And do we understand the relationship between Trick and yeah. Dirt, so there are, like, yeah. between these these different sort of what what seems like to me as as a layperson different flavors of the same thing, but yeah. maybe that's not accurate. So in the DSM, there's obsessive compulsive disorder and related behaviors. So BFRBs is under the related behaviors, um, and then under BFRBs, there's trichotillomania, trichophagia, excoriation disorder. So all of gotcha, those different gotcha, things. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's kind of stacked. Yeah, yeah. And then so sometimes a person will have a couple of them. Like Nicole has excoriation disorder and trichotillomania, and then she also has quite often folks will have uh, anxiety or depression or 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 something. Not necessarily always. Like you could just have a BFRB, but right, like... right. But now I've I've played too many video games in my life mm-hmm. that is, so now I'm picturing this as like like a like a role playing game skill tree <laughs> of different like different like disorders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, Nicole also has you know she has anxiety and has experienced depression and those you know some of those emotions associated with those things uh, like trigger the hair pulling or the skin picking depending on like where she is with those. Right. Um, uh, you know how bad they are, but um, it was also interesting because Nicole had like a similar thing when she when she found out what was going on with her and like actually got a name. Um, but trichotillomania has been been in the DSM for longer. People have known about it for longer, so there was like a community readily available for her. I was probably nine or ten years old, and my polling had gotten so bad that at that point I was bald on the top of my head. My mom had kind of heard that there was this thing called trichotillomania and then she was like, I don't know what that is. Let me Google it. And at this point, like Google had pretty much just come out. Like this is like 2003. Google was really new. So she looks it up and then 
TLC's website comes up. The TLC Foundation used to just be called TLC, which was the Trichotillomania Learning Center, but they've changed their name to be inclusive. So it's the TLC Foundation for BFRBs. And what they do is they create pamphlets and information for doctors, teachers, parents, and they have a precision medicine team, which is a group of scientists that are trying to figure out what causes it, the genetics behind it, medications, and they put out all this research. Within the year, I went to my first conference and I met other people. And now, like, I think I'm like 11 or 12 years later. I don't know. I've been going to these things since I was 10. I had no confidence at all growing up. I felt so alone and ugly and gross. But through going to conferences and workshops held by the TLC Foundation, it just kind of changed my life to feel more like I have a voice and an ability to be like, this is who I am, I'm okay with that, and no matter what anybody else says, it shouldn't affect me. So there are several different ways to treat people with BFRBs. Um, That's something I was wondering about. Uh, Nicole mentioned medications and therapy, and what what does treatment look like for for this sort of Uh, stuff? So like any psychological disorder. There there are like different ways to approach it. Before I talk about, you know, what worked for Nicole and what worked for Lauren, um, I asked I asked Meryl Black, the social worker from the beginning at the Temperance Center, what treatment looks like at her practice and how she regularly treats people with BFRBs. We look at the environment and the behaviors and the sensory and all the whole pieces for what's going on for them. Probably the most common misconception is that they want to hurt themselves. They're not trying to hurt themselves at all. They're trying to soothe themselves actually and quiet down their nervous system. So that's kind of my job to help them figure out new ways to calm themselves or, or, or get in touch with what they're feeling and, and manage it differently rather than going to the, the pulling or the picking. There's always an assessment process with each person. We really look at all the factors and from that I'll develop the treatment plan. So someone who has skin picking might say they've already kind of tried everything and they want to do hypnosis. <laughs> so I'll do hypnosis for them. And um, that will often be successful. I actually find a lot of success with hypnosis for skin pickers particularly. Everyone's always curious about hypnosis because we all maybe have seen things on TV or entertainment hypnosis and it's nothing like that. It's just deep relaxation. And the idea is to allow someone really their conscious mind to kind of just kind of slip under the unconscious. So the subconscious you talk to and put in suggestions to help them in their waking state to manage things differently. Something like, you know, you won't enjoy it in the same way if you do it, or you may find that your hand's going to kind of come down on its own, or you may even find you won't have any urges. Those are kind of some of the suggestions that I'll put in there for them, or seeing themselves, you know, free from pulling, or what their life is like without it, you know, different things like that to help them manage it more effectively. Another example will be someone will come in and I'll talk to them about, okay, what are you doing for relaxation? oh, I pull. (laughs) So they'll come up with other strategies that will be relaxing for them, whatever that is. Maybe it's yoga, maybe it's breath work, maybe it's taking a bath, maybe it's aromatherapy, maybe it's all of those. So I'm all about using as many tools as possible to help manage these problems for them. It, It is so important to kind of understand Increase your awareness around your pulling and picking because a lot of times people don't feel in control because they're not aware. So they just think it just sort of happens. So when there is an awareness and an increase of knowing when it's happening, why it's happening, what they're feeling, then they do get a better sense of control over it and kind of can figure out, okay, what can I do differently then? That's really one of the first steps is to increase awareness for people to make all the pulling or picking conscious instead of unconscious. And then they can really start to make different choices for themselves around it. So it sounds like it's important to like know why you're doing it, you know, yeah, what see, what your situation is normally like when you're doing it if if you're usually feeling a particular emotion or and then also like just even realizing that it's going on. Lauren was saying with her scanning that quite often she'll just look down and she'll have blood on her body and she won't remember picking it. So like having a 
awareness of your situation, like mentally and physically to be aware when you're doing it. Right. And, and like, it's, it's funny because it feels like a drastic thing to be like, to be able to pick at your at your skin until you bleed and not notice it. But like I I, I know for a fact that I don't notice half the time when I'm like stroking my beard. Yeah. Like we were talking about earlier. Or I'm bouncing my you know, constantly bouncing my leg exactly. and I, I won't be aware of it until someone says like, What are you what are you doing? Or like Yeah, Calm why down. is the table shown until you've knocked <laughs> over a drink, which is usually yeah. my my uh, notifier of doing that. But yeah, it's 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 this sort of like it's it's a hop, skip and a jump. Yeah. So it sounds like meditation is helpful or general, like, physical and psychological awareness in general. Meryl does CBT. Both of the women, Lauren and Nicole, have tried um, CBT, which is cognitive ba- cognitive behavioral therapy, okay. um, which is a type of psychotherapy where you, like, identify negative thought patterns. And then you work with your therapist to identify, like, solutions to sort of combat those patterns. So, like, I've done this with anxiety in the past which has worked really this was the thing actually that worked Mm. for me was cognitive behavioral therapy we can like do maybe an episode on cbt yeah (laughs) but um being aware of what what your negative thought patterns are and trying to put the tools into use that you've been given to, to calm down or to step out of it a little bit yeah so i asked lauren what works best for her and she did mention cbt and being aware of her physical and, like, psychological situation. Uh, But she did mention one other thing that I I found um, actually really surprising that worked for her. Fidget toys were something I was introduced to from the first body-focused repetitive behavior support group I found in the Midwest. And I remember walking in and there were all these fidget toys strewn across this conference table. It looked like a daycare center was about to enter the room or something. And they ranged from tangles and stress balls, seashells, beaded necklaces. What the group leader was uh, had him out for was to kind of give our fingers an option of something to play with, keep busy, um, different tactile sensations, smooth, rough, soft. And, and I was in love. I was dumbfounded that I hadn't occurred to me to, to implement those into my life earlier. And I immediately knew that part of what picking me was going to do was going to get these into people's hands, literally. So what I, I call them fiddle packs. Some of the items in the fiddle pack, pipe cleaners are actually one of my favorite things. I tie them around my steering wheel so that I always have something to twist and yank at. Buttons, little erasers to get my fingernails into. Finger bandages. They look like little balloons and they go down your fingers. Yeah, yeah. Spiky balls, stress balls, stress brains. Um, there's this noise putty and it has a great auditory component. So so where are you in like managing your own picking? So I, I call them my toolbox for my management right now. Mm-hmm. I have um, the dermatologist who is still mind-blowing. I've added that to my arsenal. But um, the cognitive behavioral therapist that I work with as well as an esthetician, I've started to see every month. My management is ongoing. I probably have seven uh, sores on my body. And I, I can still say that I I haven't effectively gone a day fully without picking. So seven sores, that might seem like a lot to somebody who doesn't have Right, but everything's right. relative. And if yeah. that's good for her, then yeah. that's good. It sounds Just, like I mean, by definition. Yeah. She was saying that like that for her is sort of like it's a massive improvement. Yeah. I, I gotta say, when when she brought up fidget toys, my my first reaction, I literally yelled this in the studio, is like, oh my god, I want one of these. Yeah. And she she's talking about a lot of different tools. Um but what I was immediately thinking about is something that I saw on Kickstarter recently called the fidget cube Whoa. and this thing looks amazing fidget cube if you are listening like, like just want to sponsor the show yeah like like or just like send me one of these to play with it looks like they're still in pre-order but it's just a little it's just a little cube it's like the shape of a big die it's like 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 the shape of a big six-sided dice mm-hmm. that has like a clicker and some like rollers and and all these different things that you can just you can just like fidget with on you can just just give your hand a little business a bunch to of do. different fidgets in one yeah yeah exactly which i know for i know for me like um as a as a former smoker the 
the nicotine was not the thing that I had to like really work to give up. It was the having something to do with my hands. It was the having having just some you know a little business with your hands. Yeah. Um, so the things that worked for Nicole were actually pretty similar. And again, it seems like this is a thing that is very hard to get rid of completely, but is possible to manage. I've had a lot of different treatments. Like I did cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of like trying to think of different strategies in different situations. And that kind of worked. Like I'll remember to be like, oh, I'll leave fidgets for myself when I'm in this situation. The one that helps me the most in terms of fidgets is having something textural, like something that is really nice sensory wise. Um, I also try to wear jewelry that I can play with. Like I have um, spinner rings and bracelets that are like stretchy so I can play with them. All my pens have textured grips on them. And a lot of times it's just reminding myself to be aware, having a lot of physical consciousness about my body. And that way meditation has helped because I get an awareness now, like, like, oh, what's my hand doing? Put it back down. One thing that's helped also is holding ice cubes. I don't know why that works. It helps me with my depression, with my anxiety, and with picking and pulling. Or if I take like a cold shower, I feel less stimulated in my scalp and hands. That's so interesting. It's almost like it's it's uh, cooling down like the hot urges that yes. you have. Yeah, totally. Like I didn't think about that until recently. I was like, wait, whenever I take a cold shower, like put cold on myself, I don't feel as... Or like a numbing and, thing. And yeah, it's almost like, oh, I don't need to do that anymore because my head feels totally not stimulated anymore. Like, it just, like, chilled out. So I'm, I'm curious. Do you have any, like, like fidget like, like fidget that you've tried to sort of replace this I with? I do. I have Silly Putty at home that I love playing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, you know, pressing it into my nails. It does a similar thing. It, like, does feed that urge. I love stress balls. Um, But I I think I I need to implement some of these other things. But yeah, I mean, Lauren was talking about having a lot of finger energy. I feel like I have a lot of finger energy um, and also leg energy. Like I, (laughs) this is maybe a a story for another time, but I sleep with a 20 pound weighted blanket. (laughs) Did you know that? I did not. Did I know that? (laughs) I have a whole, I have like an amazing sleep setup. It's like calming for me it's like okay you're gonna be weighted down now like you know like it's the 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 slogan from the place i got it is better than a hug which (laughs) (laughs) it's like don't hug me i'm with my blanket I this feel is better. Like, I feel like that could be a slogan for anything, though. I feel, I feel like you're really like... Don't touch me. This is better. Yeah. Coca-Cola. Better than a hug. Um, but Meryl... Hot sock. Better than a hug. Uh, so Meryl Black also recommended hypnosis for me. Yeah. So I, I think I might try it. You're going to get hypnotized? I, I'm a little bit nervous. This would make a, this would make a great episode. I mean, we're we're gonna have to start doing some of. this I know. Stuff. Yeah. Do you, I think maybe both of us could get hypnotized and like you're not gonna do that. Good try. <laughs> I, look, every experiment needs a control, Becca. <laughs> I will be the control for okay. this one. Let's, okay. Let's tell you what. Tell you what. Let's get me in front of like a regular sit down on the couch therapist. Oh, okay, that'll be you, before, and I'll do the hypnosis we, before we hypnotize me. Okay, that feels like it's really zero to sixty for me. Yeah. Okay. That that sounds like a good plan. That's a deal. I want to end with something Nicole said during our interview, which I thought was really awesome. Um, so I'll just I'll I'll let Nicole uh, take it away. There's a message that I really want to give to parents and partners of people who have BFRBs, which is no matter what, just support the person you love. Like, I know you want to fix it and you want to make things better, but the best thing to do is just love that person and don't go, oh, what are you doing? And smack their hand. That That's going to enforce a message that they're wrong and, and that they're bad. My mom and I, she'll notice me pulling, and I mean, I have not asked her to do this, but it's such a gesture of love that I don't feel bad about it at all. She'll notice me pulling. If I'm sitting down and watching TV, she'll just grab my hand and hold it and rub it. And I'm like, that's all I want. I don't want you to, like, tell me I'm bad or wrong. I just want to feel like someone cares and that they understand me. And I feel like a lot of parents and partners need to know 
that all the person who's suffering and struggling wants is for someone to be like, okay, I hear you, I see you, now let me give you my attention and love. And that's just basically the main message that I want people to know. I don't understand why it's so hard for people to understand that. I know, I know. I guess because people just have this urge to fix. It's our innate and natural urge to be like, things have an order and they're supposed to be that way. But in this situation, what it's supposed to be is nurturing and kind. The main thing that you want for the person who's struggling is for them to feel comfortable. So once they feel comfortable and confident, they can get to a point of wanting to feel like they want to recover. What is important is that they feel safe and heard. Oh my god, that's really sweet. Isn't that so sweet? That's super and it's sweet. so true. So true. It's also very good, like, general, like, blanket advice. It is, I think, very hard, though, sometimes when you see someone who is doing something that you think is hurting them, you know, to not... Oh, it's super hard, yeah. yeah. To not just step in and, and say, don't do that, you right. know, like, or do yeah, this and, instead. Yeah, and to, to, to try and stop someone you care about from, from doing something that's damaging themselves. Yeah, it's it's... I think that's an instinct that that most of us have. Yeah, I think I think that's really really sweet and really kind advice and it's you know it's it's a good sentiment to leave any show on. Yeah. The next episode of Group will come out on April 15th. Uh, so please go and subscribe on iTunes. I know like if you are a regular podcast listener you're probably sick of people saying this but like it, it's really helpful. <laughs> but, you, but if you're a regular podcast listener, you're also like subscribed to 17 yes. different podcasts. So make it 18. What's it to you? Yeah. So Come please, on. please go subscribe Come to it. On. You can also visit our website, grouppodcast.com. Leave us a message. Let us know what you want us to talk about. If you have a story that you want to share, shoot me an email through the website. Also, you should listen to Ian's other podcast if you want to hear his beautiful voice some more. And that is uh, Menagerie at MenagerievPodcast.com. If you're going through a hard time, hang in there. Do what you need to do. Be kind to yourself. Go to therapy. Get some sleep. Take a hot shower. Maybe Every- get hypnotized. <laughs> maybe get hypnotized. Maybe, maybe play with a, a cush ball. Yeah, but everything's going to be okay. We're going to be back next month, and we really hope you join us. <laughs>